Yama, Mali Nagaya. From Mamma Mia, I'm Camilla Roy and Dungari woman Mali Silva, and you're listening to Titters for Titters, the podcast where we share stories from excellent Indigenous women. Tida means sister, and in this podcast, you'll get to hear the stories of a handful of our deadliest Indigenous sisters who are out there changing the world one day at a time. Every day, I have the privilege of interacting with new and exciting stories of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women all across the country. Every once in a while, though, there's a story that really stands out. Shani Wellington had a story like that. She sent us a beautiful photo of her on the steps of Parliament House in a ball gown. And underneath it, she wrote, Aboriginality isn't my downfall or my ticket in. It's my superpower. Shani is an NITV political correspondent based in Canberra. NITV is the pinnacle of Indigenous media outlets in Australia. And Shani is an incredible storyteller. She tells stories to get our people's voices out there, a little bit like I do. And she knows how to articulate words of wisdom for the next generation in a really rare, beautiful way. In this conversation, Shani talks to me about her battle with imposter syndrome, her journey to believing that she truly deserves to be where she is. In all, Shani wants all those people who second-guess themselves on whether they deserve something, an achievement, an accolade, any kind of recognition, that you do. Well, I always start this conversation by asking that age-old question, we always ask each other as blackfellas of, what's your name, who's your mob and where are you from? Steve Mungs would be very proud of that. <laughs> who's, who's your mob, where are you from? Uh, so I'm Shani Wellington and I'm a proud Geringer woman from the south coast of New South Wales. Um, but I spent most of my life growing up on the central coast, um, dark and young country. And yeah, now I'm living in Canberra, Ngunnawal, Numbri land, so... And I spent the last four years in Darwin on Larrakia land, so. So you've been around. some places. <laughs> yeah, but I've acknowledged some traditional custodians <laughs> all around. But, yeah, I'm a proud Geringer woman, UN nation. Where do you Coast. think of all those nations that you've lived on? What's the best weather-wise? Depends what you're into, I guess, because I went, you know, I've been in Darwin for the last four years and I've loved that and I love the tropics, but it's also probably the most polarising yeah. <laughs> weather and place you can ever be. And when I moved from Darwin about six months ago to Canberra was the biggest shock to my system because the, I went from, you know, having to never wear pants <laughs> to having to get, get right into that. And the first week that I moved to Canberra, I saw snow from my window. So I think Central Coast is, I got to, you know, I got to stand Central Coast because it's probably the most even ground for yeah. any old person to go and live in. So, so yeah. tell me about growing up on the sunny coast. What was it like? <laughs> Did you grow up there with, you know, you got your parents, siblings? Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, grew up on Central Coast and I loved it, loved living at home. I have my mum and my dad and I got my three older brothers, bless them. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm the youngest, I'm the baby and I'm the only girl. So I was a bit of a protected species growing up there. Um, But, yeah, it was really awesome. Like uh, school was pretty good. We, um, you know, moving away from the Mish down south pretty early on, we – and my dad, his mother passed when he was quite young, so mm. we didn't really have that cultural connection um, 
in the traditional sense. Um, but growing up on the Central Coast when we went to high school, myself and my brother, who are only a year apart, mm-hmm. we found a lot of our kind of cultural identity through school and doing, um, you know, working with our AEWs and AEOs, which I think is quite a modern yeah. you know, experience that people go through that you kind of find that sense of identity through school. Mm. So, yeah, I was really lucky to kind of go to Gorkin High plug Gorkin <laughs> High Central Coast, <laughs> um, which I realised the other day I'm coming up to my 10-year anniversary oh, wow. <laughs> reunion. So <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, a bit of a shock to the system as well. Um, but, yeah, well, growing up was really good and we kind of, I think personally I got really lucky in that sense, um, mm. having a really good community in terms of cultural ways and family ways and all of that. Yeah, it was a pretty happy childhood. So I know of a particular story I'd love you um, to share about something that I guess you didn't realise at the mm. time, but what happened um, when you were named Ducks of your primary school. Very mm. smart oh, very cookie elusive, there. elusive, yes. <laughs> the old Ducks of the primary school. You've probably heard of me. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was lucky enough to be named Ducks of my primary school when I was young. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later that my mum told me, uh, the story of that day, which it was probably, you know, I, I think she told me when I was in high school, but I hated it so much that I think I probably suppressed the memory a bit Mm. because she told me, she brought it up with me again a few years later um, when I was probably 22 and it felt like it was the first time I'd heard it mm. because and she was like oh no I've definitely told you this and I was like wow no that that pain feels fresh <laughs> um, and yeah so I had one ducks and my mum told me the story um, that she was in the crowd and you know loving me sick and so excited for me to to have won that award when I was a wee 12 year old or whatever you are in year six and she told me that she overheard a man who actually worked at the school. I didn't put that. I didn't put that in uh, the post that I had shared. Uh, she she overheard him say, "When will we stop apologising to these people?" When I'd won this award, as you know, such a, a naive, <laughs> you know, little girl. And I remember her saying that he had said that, and I kind of like my stomach dropped. You know, it was such a hard thing to hear because. I guess well, what I, I kind of put out there into the world was this story and how that kind of mentality of second-guessing whether I deserved an award or an achievement or an accolade or something like that, that I always, in my brain, I kind of thought, is there a man, not a man, just a person anywhere, thinking when I do this, when I do win this award or get that recognition that I don't deserve it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of that underlying thing of, is this because of, you know, reaching a quota or because I'm Indigenous and that they think that, you know, it could be the first Indigenous ducks, you know, and that's why we've done that. And it kind of really ingrained that kind of thinking in myself when I would be selected for teams, when I would get a job, all that kind of things. And I kind of wrote, uh, you know, my story and how that affected me. But also the journey that I've got, I've been on in the last few years and kind of shifting that thinking and knowing that it's really not up to that man or anyone else really that we persevere and we, we get these jobs or, you know, we, we get anywhere in life, I guess. It's not up to anyone else. It's kind of because of our own 
hard work and perseverance and that kind of thing. But yeah, it all comes back to Mr. Man on that day. And then, and you know, my mum protecting me from that for a few years. Mm. She never really told, she never told me about what happened until she thought I was, you know, old enough and ugly enough to hear that. And I, and I think that was the reality, you know, because in my brain, that was always such a nice moment for me. Yeah. And to hear that that was the kind of background that I was, wasn't privy to, mm. it's kind of like, you know, what aren't you privy to on the daily basis when you're still out here grinding every mm. day? But, you know, yeah, I guess that's the story. It's um, a, a story that resonates with me so much because my mum protected me from stories from primary school as well. Mm. And I think she didn't start telling me them until she realised that I was copying a lot of the racism anyway. Um and, yeah, that rhetoric that we are given handouts mm. is something that is just so rife and I became more aware of that when it got to university and everyone thought that I wasn't going to have a hex debt. Like, it's like, <laughs> oh, naturally. Oh, you're here for free. <laughs> really? <laughs> and for a second I was like, maybe I should Google that. Please yeah, tell my, my, the taxation yeah. office that that's the case, please. Oh, my gosh. But I think the... The simple fact is that we succeed in spite of mm. what is, obstacles stand in front of us or, you know, you know the expectations that people have of us as Aboriginal people and it's just a farce to kind of suggest anything otherwise. Absolutely. So like I said, you know, you say that you hate that story but you're telling it anyway and mm. what compels you to tell it? I think it's... I think what I've found over the years is that it is such a shared experience and I've just met along my journey, you know, and they're not all blackfellas, they're, they're any kind of minorities, you know, that kind of feel like they always have to second guess their achievements on whether they des really deserve something. Mm -hmm. And that's just something that I've learned through my career, through my social circles. There's, <laughs> it's, it's not to the same um, you know, same level as that original story, but I went through a cadetship when I was younger, getting just getting into media. And there was a group of us um, from all over the country that was kind of one of us in, in every major city. And I remember when <laughs> we're all kind of standing there and we'd all been brought in um, and it was the first time that we were as a group, a collective together, and we were doing our first week. And a man came over and we were kind of this, you know, the the cohort of cadets for the year and he's like, oh, looking very brown, aren't we? Oh, God. <laughs> and all of us were just like, it was just kind of this another sinking feeling where we all kind of looked at each other, you know, are we a diversity card? Mm. Do we all, as a collective, we're all looking at each other kind of like, wow, maybe that is the decision, the process that led to us being here. But I think, you know, we're always going to have these moments where people are going to, you know, criticise or try and plant those seeds just like that man. Like that was in, that was when I was 12 and this was, you know, in my 20s. So I think it's kind of that reality that people are always going to think the way that they want to think. But the point is, is that we get to where we want to be because of our, you know, our strength, our perseverance, our, our dedication to whatever our field is, you know, and there are so many more obstacles to overcome for us being minorities or being Indigenous, being a black fella doing and being able to do all of this stuff 
despite what those people say, you know, and when they try and take the credit and try and take that power away from you to say, you know, you're not here because you weren't it, you're here because someone afforded it to you because of your blackness. It's like that's not really the case, is it? Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a big thing for someone personally to kind of have that shift in thinking. And I think when I decided to share it, it's kind of like, you know, uh, we need to reclaim our stories and our power from these people or these men men in crowds or mm. people who walk up to a group and <laughs> point out that they're all brown for some <laughs> reason. I don't know what, what goes through people's minds, but, you know, kind of getting to that point where being okay in yourself and knowing that you deserve everything that you get, you know, in a way that it's not anyone else's business mm. to that they got you to where you where you are, mm. you know. It's not it's not up to them. So you're a journalist, yes, and um, <laughs> you've you know had a pretty interesting career already. Growing up, is that what you wanted to do? Was that something that you kind of knew early on? Uh, yeah, kinda. I I've had a really weird journey, I guess, which is you know something I hope other people can kind of relate <laughs> to. Um, I always wanted to be get into writing. I was always pretty good at it. And I always kind of thought, oh, you know, this would be this would be good for me. I just didn't know how to make money off it really. <laughs> like how, what kind of job could I do that I could do this and still enjoy it? And so I ended up, um, when I was young, I used to write speeches and do, do a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And then I got into communications at Newcastle, um, which the best thing about um, that degree, I think, is it kind of gives you a lot of freedom to try different things as you're going and, you know, you can do screenplay writing and all that kind of stuff but also do journalism and other subjects like that. I'm not a screenplay writer. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I didn't I didn't excel at that. Um, but, yeah, but I actually came when I was at Newcastle, I kind of got uh, got into working in communications in that, that side of it, which um, is great. <laughs> To some, to some extent, it was it just wasn't great for me, and I kind of was working in in government stuff a bit, um, a bit more dry. And I kind of found myself working there for after I finished my degree and went on for a few years. And I kind of got to this point where I was just like, "Wow, I'm so unhappy. Mm. <laughs> like this is what you know what all my work gets me to. I, I don't want it. I think I you know I was good at something, and I think I might have rushed into it." Mm. So when I was young, I just decided to, after being in this government internal communications job, I kind of decided to go overseas, you know, baby bird flew the nest and went wild a bit. And so I went, yeah, I went and traveled America for a few months and I came back and then I went rogue, you know, I quit my job. I'm like, mom and dad, <laughs> this isn't what I want. I'm going to go and do something else. Um, and so I actually decided to apply for jobs in all different fields. Anything that wasn't communication slash journalism, I'd kind of like just grouped that into the same field and was kind of like, that's not for me. Um, and so I got a job in Darwin working in sport. So I was getting away. I was unchaining myself from the computer and, you know, and going up to um, Darwin working for Netball Northern Territory, which was a blessing, an absolute blessing. Um, but I actually left my house, like my family home. And so I, I full on went out, went out on my own. It was a very daunting experience, but it was probably the best decision I ever made. Um, 
wasted a big, big chunk of money on my degree at that time, <laughs> uh, to, to my own dismay. Uh, but yeah, and I went and I went out remote. I taught taught kids in communities how to play netball. You know, it was just something I'd never worked with kids before. I'd never done sport. I'd never done, you know, gone out of my comfort zone in so many different ways. Um, so it was pivotal development wise, but, you know, I went out there and I kind of met so many people out community in Darwin along my travels and kind of just really wanted, in a weird way, I really wanted to write about it. Mm. And I kind of, for the first time, was like, wow, I think I had lost my passion and my my feel for it along the way some somewhere early on. And then it wasn't until I kind of went out and lived life that I was like, wow, this is really what I want to do. And I had that light bulb moment when I was out there that I want to give these people a platform. Like they've got such cool stories and I'm the only one experiencing it. And for the first time in my life, I was like, I had a really clear direction of what I wanted to do. And so I came back um, and decided with some coaxing from my personal friends over dinner. And I was like, I just want to do something. They're like, do it, get out there. I'm like, okay, all right, I better. Uh, and so I applied for all entry-level jobs in journalism because I'd technically never actually worked as a journalist, even though that was kind of what I always wanted to do. And for some reason, they they picked me up. <laughs> do not downplay yourself. <laughs> yeah, Obviously, you had the talent. <laughs> not having sorry, not having worked in a newsroom yes, before yep. or, or done any journalism experience, they took me on. And so I thought I was kind of uh, working, you know, applying for these jobs as an entry-level internship type thing, but I ended up getting the ABC cadetship, which is actually a bit of an illustrious mm. uh, thing. So, yeah, I was very lucky to, to get one of those, but it was quite funny because uh, being in Darwin, I only had to do um, kind of Skype interviews and they do radio and screen tests, but for me being in Darwin, I only had to do it on Skype because they weren't didn't have the facilities. Mm. But when they actually brought us all in, once this process got underway, I realised that, you know, it was like a full-on thing. Yeah. And people, you know, but I, all I'd done is Skype, so I wasn't <laughs> sure. But all these people, you know, they all went into the, t the studio and there was, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applicants that go for these jobs because the ABC is such, such an amazing opportunity mm. and, you know, gave me all the legs that I needed. And... It wasn't until like the first two days of, of our, our training that I was kind of like, wow, like I've done something here. <laughs> I remember calling my mum and just being like, like, you should have given me a dinner, lady. Like, <laughs> this is full on. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I found myself uh, at the ABC and that really, you know, formed me. And I had so many opportunities up in Darwin and I was able to write stories about people as you know a lot for our people as well you know that was where my my heart always lied mm. uh and being able to be in Darwin you know there's not a reporter who's been doing every round for 20 years like there might be in major cities yeah. so up there if you were in the right place at the right time like they'd send you out I'd wow. do court I'd do crocs I'd do <laughs> I'd do anything that was going on so yeah that was an, an amazing experience to be able to that but uh now I'm working for NITV as their political reporter which is another um, major moment in my life and mm -hmm. doing this job has really brought something new, giving a voice on, on such a broader scale, you know, and, yeah. and doing politics and policy that really affect the way people live 
and Indigenous people in particular. It's been a massive year mm. for me to get involved in politics, you know, with the voice, um, cashless welfare card, all of this that's going on. It's been pretty amazing to be a part of and kind of keep people informed about, I guess. So, yeah, it's been – I'm a big believer in, you know, being in the exactly where you need to be. And I think I went a bit crazy when I was young because I needed to go overseas and live life in order to be able to, you know, bring some perspective to my writing and meet people and refund, rekindle that passion that I think I lost early on. And that mm -hmm. found me, you know, I think, I think young people kind of, you know, stress out about not knowing what they're doing or where they should go. But, you know, my, my journey definitely hasn't been linear and I've been all over the place, but I think, you know, you find yourself mm. and it's all meant to go the way that it does go, hopefully. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I have a huge bias in the sense that, you know, I call myself a writer too in a different way. And mm. um, I think we are lucky in the sense, because when you talk about, you know, being up in Darwin and kind of, you know, having this feeling compelled to write a, about these people, um, I think it's because storytellers are born, you know, mm. they're not made. I think that's so, it, it's just who you are and I feel like I'll explode if I don't, yeah. if I'm not telling stories, that's what I have to do. So, I mean, NITV, um, for people who don't know, that's essentially the premier Indigenous media mm. outlet. Um, yeah. It's TV, a lot of digital, a, a big focus on digital now. Yeah, we have like such a online basis, like, that's where our audience is also, mm. you know, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of thing. Mm. You'll always see them going live. Um, yeah, Facebook Live. I get yeah, the notifications. Facebook live <laughs> TV, yeah. And, you know, when we try and get out to community as mm. much as we can and give a voice to the grassroots people as well as everything, you know, protests that go on in big cities, we try and get out there. So, yeah, we're, we have a lot of fun but also news and current affairs, yeah. which is my mob where, um, yeah, we try to give a voice to all those massive issues, that um, major events as well that we've got going on. Fun fact, I did work experience at NITV when Ayo. I was in year 10 and it was the week <laughs> that they found out that they were going free to air. Oh. And it was very exciting. Amazing. Yes. And You're part of history. Ah, it was a very exciting moment. We had lamingtons in the <laughs> office. Like that was how we celebrated. Very cool. Fun fact, yeah. I also did uh, work experience at NITV. No yeah, <laughs> Yeah, and I came so full circle, so that's, that, so that's cool. been nice. So before doing this political correspondent role, would you have considered yourself political? Uh, I, I, I've i always been, um, no. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the short answer <laughs> is no. I, uh, I always thought um, politics matter. Obviously, yep. and I've, I've always thought that politics um, have such an effect, especially on minorities and and Indigenous people, and we, we haven't had the best relationship mm. um, with government, with politics and policy. I think that's the biggest understatement of the century there. Not a great relationship. Um, but I think it's so important. But before I came into this role I never really specifically did politics mm. and I wouldn't say I was politically minded mm. at all and I think that was one of the biggest gambles coming from being an ABC general news reporter I did a lot of sport which I loved I kind of you know you go across the board up there um, but coming into a political correspondent role you know it's so specific mm. and I I was pretty scared yeah I guess I, I think the biggest gamble for me was if I would like the job mm. And, you know, anyone can do a job. It just depends if they 
hate their lives for the next 12 months or whatever contract it's going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that was a big thing for me because I'm I I think you perform better in your job if you're happy in your life, you know. And I was always thinking I was always big on work-life balance and you know would this take over my my entire world and would I get into the Canberra bubble and forget who I am and what it all really means and, and you know, mm. and things like that. And people in Canberra doing politics have been doing it their whole lives, you yeah. know, and been I don't. Prepping for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't, I came to this job, you know, not, well, I think that was my strength in the end is that, you know, I come in and I, I am the average bear, you yeah. know, I, I, I read these policies and I talk to these politicians and I think what is the viewer at home, what do they need to know? What's, you know, my auntie going to need to know about this story and what will she understand, what will she take from it? Because I come in and I'm like, yeah, okay, this is how I feel about it and it's probably what someone else is going to need to know mm. and how it will affect them in their everyday life, you know? And that is so vital for mm. our community. I think um, that was going to be my next question was, I mean, the role that you play as like, layman terms for big Mm. policies and and things like that making I think that a big problem that we see is I think in in some ways if you're born Aboriginal in this country you're born political Mm. um but the actual like nitty-gritty parts of policy and political processes are so far away that and detached from our normal life that we feel like we can have no impact on it and and that ed- education around that stuff is so important to us mm. seeing the big changes we need to see. So you being the the filter <laughs> of all this high-level stuff where we go, what the heck does that mean? Is that yeah. in a language I can understand? And you make that normal for us. So, I mean, I mean you, obviously you report on other stuff as well and you still do your, your human interest, which is mm. um, yeah. kind of more your passion point. But what what's been, you know, a, a lesson that you've learned from this policy and politics part yeah. or, or something that you've, you're surprised about or you like in yeah. it? Well, I think the biggest surprise is how much I love it. Oh, yeah. yeah, like I, I came down um, always open-minded but also very grossly aware that it would be something that I'd never considered before. Oh and coming down there, it's been a real saving grace for me, you know, with with such a big uprooting my life and coming down here because I enjoy, you, you the stories are so important, mm. you know, and I did, I thought it would be, it, it all takes, you know, hard yakka. It took a lot of research and trying to get to know everything. But I think at the end of the day, the point of this role is that it, it's not just politicians just running their mouth 24-7 about what they ate for breakfast or whatever, you know, and these policies affect people on the ground you know this is going to change the way people live their lives and how they spend their money and how they interact with each other it's life and death you know in our remote communities sometimes and to kind of what I what I've done is try and transition it from just being words on a paper to real life because for Indigenous people you know we are underrepresented in the in these institutions that I'm in every day and you know I think a lot of it is just being there being a voice and kind of trying to be that filter from whatever mess that, that that's going on to how is this affecting us and and keeping them accountable I think that's the biggest thing is an accountability for Indigenous people in this space mm-hmm. and making reminding politicians and these systems that um you know sit above us 
that we're people and we deserve the same respects and uh, the same power, self-determination that other communities have. How does it work in the press gallery? How do you feel talking <laughs> to politicians? Like what's what's that been like? Because they can feel like, again, they can feel like these alien beings that oh, yeah. n- are not real humans. It's actually the strangest thing because I always find myself walking around Pali and seeing people. Oh, look, you've got the lingo, oh, Pali. Oh, we all have the lingo now, <laughs> Pali House. Um, walking around Parliament House uh, and I always see people and I always think, oh, g'day. Like I, I go to make eye contact and say g'day, but it's actually, I don't know you, I just see you on TV sometimes. <laughs> You know, it's a really weird, really weird space because I'm always just like, oh, my good friend, so-and-so. But then yeah. I'm like, actually, we've never met. I just <laughs> see you on, on the box sometimes. So that's that's pretty weird. But you know what? I think uh, the best thing is just being yourself and, you know, I have a yarn because they're people. At the end, which is probably being the weirdest realisation. At the end yeah. of the day, they're people too. And being, you know, like they mm-hmm. had, uh, the PM had his Christmas drinks last week. So I found myself at the lodge for the press gallery with the PM and he had his his phone on the playlist. So he had his Spotify going. Oh my and he's God. over there searching through and I'm like, what a strange place <laughs> for me to be in my life. <laughs> like, you know, you got, it's kind I of I wonder weird. what his Spotify wrap-up thing would be. Oh, I'd love to see oh it. My I God. would love to see it. Well, I dare say it'll be probably like Hill some song. classic rock. <laughs> Classic rock, judging from that Ooh. night of night. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's amazing. But, yeah, I guess it is strange to kind of find yourself in in that space where, you know, these people are the decision makers. Um, but, you know, it's it's a lot. It, the job comes down to networking and talking mm-hmm. to them and making, forming those relationships. And, but, yeah, it's definitely a bit weird and there's been a few pinch-me moments to, mm. to kind of find myself, which I think is actually why I decided to write that story mm. And share it with the world because I found myself at, it was actually the midwinter ball earlier this year and I kind of was in this sea of just very important people Mm. and I just felt so undeserving, I guess. Mm. It was just the imposter syndrome. Yeah, exactly. And I just kind of felt so insecure on whether I deserved it or who I was or if I was meant to be there at all and it wasn't until the next day that I kind of sat and reflected on those feelings and thought like, nah, man, like you you got here through your own work and grind and perseverance and you got invited. So yeah. <laughs> if you weren't meant to be there, you wouldn't be there. Yeah. And I think that's just like the whole the whole thing is that what you've done is from your your own um, your own work and you wouldn't be reaping the benefits if you weren't meant to be. So yeah, it's, there's been a few moments like that where I'm like, what is going on? But I think the, the most important thing is to after I have those moments of doubt to reassure myself that, you know, you're doing okay. And you deserve it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what that's the, that's the go. <laughs> yeah. I think that is the perfect um, thing to kind of end on. Is there any final things that you want to say, any message that you would want to leave with you know, particularly maybe young Aboriginal women who mm. are, because I think that journalism is a pretty popular field. Um, yeah. I think we all love to tell stories, which is, um, but what would you tell someone who maybe wants to have a career like you? Uh, I think it's definitely putting in the hard work, you know, it's doing unpaid internships, it's 
doing all that hard yakka at the start, but it's going to be worth it, you know. And I think, like I said before, the biggest thing for me was to trust the process. Like people think that you've got to do really well in your HSC and go from your HSC to university and then go choose a degree, get that degree, get that job and then live your life with your three kids and beautiful husband. But I think the the thing of, is that life doesn't work that way and I think if you just work hard and try and, you know, keep a work-life balance, you know, and, and not putting your heart and soul into things working out that you think that they should be because I think you end up exactly where you need to be. And be it, you know, and also being a yes man, like if you get these opportunities, take them, you know, if it sounds weird and a bit not for you, maybe just do it anyway and try and see where it takes you because, you know, and recognizing, listening to the world, listening to your spirit at the time. And if you don't feel right in where you are, then try something else. And I think that's what's happened to me is that I've just had to kind of work hard and trust the process because where I ended up, at the time, I didn't know it, but it was where I, exactly where I needed to be and it got me to being here at, at the moment, being with NITV doing politics, which was something that was just so far out of my world when I was young and like you, like I knew I wanted to be a storyteller and I didn't know what that would look like and so I just kept, you know, making opportunities, taking opportunities and seeing where it took me and trusting the world and trusting how I felt in these situations that you know, to be brave enough to make a decision to try something new or to, you know, brave it out and just stick with it, you know. I think it's um, trusting the process but also working really hard, knowing what you need to do um, and going for it. And also culture, family, those support systems are so integral and talking to people to get you through because it's such a messy ride, isn't it? And I think that's half the thing is being, you know, being brave enough but also you know, trusting that people will come along with you yeah. as well and to, to talk to them and to trust those people because it's hard on your own. And, you know, going up to Darwin was pretty wild for me, but at the same time, baby bird had to fly and I knew that I could always go home if I needed to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, taking chances, trusting the process, work hard, be brave, listen to this podcast. <laughs> How's that Keep for it on list? repeat. Yeah. <laughs> that for a list of to-dos <laughs> that's amazing and thank you so much for your time um I think that there's going to be a lot of people who get a lot out of what you had to say thanks Molly hope so that's all we can hope for I guess that you know we write long rants on Facebook and just hope that someone takes something out of our rambles and it can help people or make it a bit easier for the next mob who come through Thank you for listening to Titters for Titters. If you like this show, please share it with someone you know and leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. If you want to see more from Titters for Titters, follow us on Instagram by searching Titters for Titters. Titters for Titters is produced by Hannah Bowman and Leah Porges. I'm Marley Silver. See you next time.